ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now God is summoning us to worship him today. Have you ever wondered why we might start our services with a verse from the Bible, with a a call for us to worship? Well, it's a picture of the gospel where it is God who has the first word. It is God who makes the first move. It's God who calls us to him. And he calls you today. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship him. And so how will we respond? We're going to respond to his word through the singing together to his praise of Psalm 100. These very famous words, the Psalter version of Psalm 100. Um, Whenever I I go to a congregation for the first time in a long time, I like to choose this psalm. I, I, I feel like it's one of these classics that really lift up our hearts to give God the glory he deserves. And so... Um, All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, him serve with mirth, his praise forth tell, come ye before him and rejoice. Let's stand, stand, stand and sing to God's praise.
Let's join our hearts together in prayer as we, as you join with me as we pray to the Lord and He hears us in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that we just sang as we respond to you calling us to give you the glory you deserve. To hold you as the, the weighty one. To know that you are worthy of our joy, our singing. You are worthy of our focus and our attention. You are worthy of our praise. We worship you this morning. We thank you Lord that the reason we praise you. Is because you are the Lord of all. And you feed your flock we are your sheep and you protect and care and feed Lord we thank you for the truth that Jesus is the good shepherd who came to give us life and life to the full so Lord we ask that you would forgive us forgive us when we don't give you the honour you deserve forgive us where our lives don't reflect our testimony. Forgive us, Lord, for where we reject and ignore you in sin. Forgive us, Lord, for the temptations that we fall to. Forgive us, Lord, for the patterns of sinful and destructive thoughts and behaviors. Forgive us, Lord, for the things that we don't do that we should be doing, the love that we should have, the, the compassion the zeal for the loss that we should have. Forgive us, Lord, for not standing up for the truth and the justice that you proclaim over this world and make us to be people of truth and justice. Lord, we pray for this nation. And with that in mind, Lord, we thank you for, just over this last week, the General Assembly of the Free Church of Scotland, this gathering together of this decision-making body of congregations and presbyteries and ministers and elders gathering together to decide on things. Lord, what a blessed few days we had. We thank you for um, Bob Ackroyd, the new moderator, who led with such warmth and who gave us a vision to... Look to Jesus to do the impossible. Lord, we are weak. And we are in a nation that seems to be drifting further and further away from you. It seems impossible, Lord. And we cannot do the impossible. But Lord, you can do the impossible. So we call on your name. To use faithful gospel churches all over Scotland. Whether it is free churches that wish to proclaim your name. Whether it is family and friends who we know in other parts of Scotland who go to faithful Bible-centered, Jesus-centered, Word-centered places preaching faithfully the good news of forgiveness and repentance and satisfaction and peace through Jesus alone. And with this in mind, Lord, we Bring it home that little bit more. We pray and think of the family of Professor Donald MacLeod who passed away just last week. We thank the Lord for his ministry, his books that many of us have enjoyed, his teaching over the decades. 
and the impact he made on so many. We pray, Lord, for the wisdom as to how to pray for the family and to care for them. We think as well of the minister here, of Reverend Rennick. Lord, we pray that you would be with him and help him and draw near to him and the family. Be with him during this time off. We pray for the many in this congregation who are suffering through ill health. I may not know them, but Lord, you do. And we thank you, Lord, for the elders here and for the people here who do pray for them. We think of Ricky McRae and Tommy Cook and David McRae and Neil Shaw. Names that the elders have given me to pray for, Lord. But it is because the people here are already praying for them, Lord. We thank you for the blessing of a church that is there to bear one another's burdens and to pray for one another. Lord, we ask for healing. We ask for strength. We ask for comfort during the difficult times of illness and suffering. We pray for those who are carrying the scars of grief. We pray for those who are carrying the wounds of trauma gone by. We pray for those who are still wrestling with the baggage of, whether it is the baggage of life, the, the baggage of church life, the baggage of upbringing. Lord, we all come with different things. And still, Lord, we come to the cross. And we find there that the Lord Jesus takes away the sin of the world. And we are all sufferers and sinners, Lord. And with Jesus we find the one who soothes our suffering. Who died for our suffering. Who will one day come back to put or right our suffering. But Lord, he also died for our sins. To pay for our sinfulness. Lord, what a saviour. What a comforter. What a shepherd we have. And so now we pray that you would... Bless the children here. Bless all the families. Bless all those of every age and stage who are sacrificing something in their lives and denying themselves in some way on this side of glory as we seek to follow you. And so be with us now, Lord, we pray, in all this time of worship that we have together, gathering as your people. We ask it all in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, at this stage in the service, we like to include the young kids of the service in a very special way. And um, I've got a, a catechism. It's something called the New City Catechism, a sort of modern catechism. The catechism is a way for all of us to learn the basics of who God is and what the Bible is teaching us. And so one of the things I want to share with us is one of the very first ones, very first, one of the very first questions, what is God? Now I've got some sign language to teach you all. So you want to do some British sign language with me? All the boys and girls, maybe not the little, little babies. Be, I'd be very impressed if they have the motor functions to use their fingers and use their hands in such a way. But you young ones, I'm looking at you guys. You can use your hands. So I want you to learn the answer to this question with me. It's a very simple question. What is God? And we're going to learn this answer. God is the creator of everyone and everything. And so to remember that, 
Do it with me if you can. In fact, the whole congregation can do the sign language with me. What is God? God is the creator. And you bunch your fingertips together like that. And you twist them like that. That is the word creator. We go, God is, we're pointing up to God, the creator of everything and everyone. God is the creator. God is the creator of everything and everyone. Now, God is the creator. What does that mean? Well, it means, in one sense, one of the things it means is that he cares and loves his creation. He cares about his creation. So if I was to draw something, if I was to, what will I draw? Do you want to say, what will I draw? Anything at all. The sun. Right, I'm going to draw the sun. I'm going to draw a big sun. Now, this is a black pen, so just pretend it's night time. Uh, because I can't draw a big, bright yellow sun. But what does the sun look like? It's got like big rays that go out from it. Does that look like a sun to you? That look like a sun? I'm quite proud of that little drawing. I'm not very good at art, so I'm quite proud. I'm going to show this to Ian. I want to show Ian this drawing. Ian, I want you to look at this. I'm, I'm quite proud of this picture. What do you think of it? What's your thoughts? What? Ian! What? 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 really hurt I care about what I made I made this I was I loved this and it really hurts when Ian destroyed it but then God is the creator of everyone and everything and God cares about you and me When you create something, when you make something, you care about it. It matters to you. The world matters to God. God created it. He cares for it. God so loved the world. What did he do? What did he do? He sent his son Jesus into the world so that he would die for our sins. You matter to God. He created you and me. And he loves you. He wants us to know him. And to love him too. And that's why Jesus is so special. Jesus fixed what we broke. Because we broke the world. We took sin into the world. And we broke the world. That's why bad things happen. But God still loves his world. God still cares for you and me. And that's why Jesus is so special. He fixed what we broke. He fixed our friendship with God. Our relationship with the one who made us. So boys and girls, I want you to remember that even because God made you and me, he loves you, he cares for you, and he wants you to know him and love him. And he sent Jesus to put it right, to fix it. So thank you, boys and girls, for listening. Let me just pray for you guys. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus who came to put right what we as a human race put wrong. We thank you for Jesus because it is the proof. He is the proof that you care about this world. You care about us. We matter to you. And you so love the world. You so love these little boys and girls that you sent your son to die for us. So be with us now, Lord, we pray, and bless these young children. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing again. We're going to sing this time from the Sing Psalms version of Psalm 65. Sing Psalms, Psalm 65. If I can find the one. In Zion, praise awaits you, Lord. To you our vows will pay. To you all people will come near. You hear us when we pray. So we're going to sing verses 1 to 7, five stanzas of this psalm. 65, in Zion, praise awaits you, Lord. Let's stand.
Uh, turn with me to our passage for this morning, afternoon. Um, and we're going to be reading from Mark and chapter 5. And focusing on that this morning. Mark chapter 5, we're going to read um, from verse 21 to verse 43. Let's read together. Um, Read with me God's word in your heart. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. And may the God bless to us the reading of his word, which we'll come again and look at together in just a few short moments. We're going to sing again, this time from Sing Psalms, Psalm 51. Uh, Again, these famous words of confession. Um, And so we're going to sing together. Oh my God, have mercy on me. In your steadfast love, I pray. In your infinite compassion, my transgressions wipe away. Cleanse me from iniquity. 
Wash my sin away from me. Let's stand and sing to God's praise. <coughs> Turn with me to the passage that we read together in Mark chapter 5 and keep it open as we work through it together this afternoon. His daughter is dying. I think that's all I need to say to impress upon us the fear of this moment. His daughter's dying. Now, perhaps that's something you've been through. Or perhaps it's your worst nightmare. But all of us can surely imagine the gravity of this situation and sympathize with this father. His daughter is dying and he falls to the ground in front of Jesus. Please, Jesus, please, come quick. 
this is a chapter actually of hopeless situations. If you read through Mark chapter 5, it begins with the demon-possessed man, the one called Legion. And we're going to see it multiple times this afternoon in this passage. But if you remember anything from today, remember this simple phrase. When Jesus comes up against hopelessness, Jesus wins. Mark's goal in this section is to demonstrate that Jesus is God's king with real authority. And he wants to draw the reader to respond to this king by having faith in him, by trusting in him. Which means we're going to look at a couple of different headings with a couple of different questions. And the first question is this. Do you recognize the king who has the authority over sickness and death? And so after Jairus' pleading, we read that Jesus went with him. The man came, implored with him, come, and Jesus went with him. Verse 24. And a large crowd, a great crowd it says, followed him and thronged about him. Now, lots of people want a piece of Jesus. And lots of people are interested all of a sudden in this story of what's going on. He's off to help this dying girl. We want to see this. But here appears another key person in this story. Because Jesus meets a second hopeless case. A woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She's had a menstrual hemorrhage for 12 years. Obviously there's pain and discomfort. But for 12 years? This is a chronic, life-limiting disease. And if this was somebody's situation now, that would be difficult enough. In the here and now, we can understand medically... And socially, this is hard. That is, that is greatly uncomfortable and, and limiting in certain ways. But back then, not only were the, the medical achievements of humanity not at a time and place where they could help her to enough of a degree, medically it was extremely hard to live with, but that's actually not even probably the worst part of it. Because in that culture then, menstrual bleeding was considered to make somebody ceremonially and temporarily unclean. The, the, the blood, whether it's discharged from any part of the body, if, for example in Leviticus, if there were skin sores that were producing blood and oozing out blood and or pus that itself as well had this element of it was symbolic of sin's impact on our life and oozing out of us and and so whenever anything medically went wrong with a person and there was blood or pus or whatever it might be they were considered ceremonially unclean it was a symbolism of sinfulness and the reality of it it was meant to be a temporary picture but such is the brokenness of this world, such is the sin, sin impact on humanity as a race, some of us will suffer more than others in a variety of different ways. And so here she was 
ceremonially and not even temporarily unclean. She was unclean for 12 years. For, forbidden from entering into worship. For, forbidden from being touched by someone else. Because then they would become considered unclean. This is just a symbolic way to, to really impress upon that culture then how sin comes out from inside of us and impacts other people and infects life around us. So this sense of by the touch others would become unclean. It's just a symbolic way to say your sin that comes out of you impacts other people. But to really dig in how that spiritual reality is a real reality. God allowed for a, a, a part of the world's history that ceremonially you would be considered unclean if there was blood. And so as well as suffering the physical suffering and distress, for the last 12 years, it's as if this woman's life has been one of taboo and stigma. Cut off from community, cut off from friendship, cut off from fellowship. Now chronic illness is bad enough. But if something has happened to you, or is happening to you, whether it's your fault or whether you're a victim of it, the stigma and the taboo that reflects just how sin works, when sin comes knocking at your door, whether you've done it or it's been done to you, this is meant to be a hard, lived out picture of just what happens. Because people look at you with taboo and stigma. People look at you differently. When sin has either been a very obvious part of your life or you have suffered at the hands of something that you're innocent of. She didn't do anything that caused this 12-year issue. It was happening to her. And yet there was stigma. Now, we can apply this in so many different ways. Whether people are, are, are victims of trauma that impacts them in different ways. And yet, they're the ones that get the stigma and the taboo. Whether it's mental health or whether it's some ongoing, long-term issue on trauma. People live with the impact of sin. But this story is meant to be something that speaks to you. Because add in the dimension of stigma and taboo and distance and being cut off. Where, where the people you love are the ones who want to keep their distance from you. Whatever is causing that. Whatever is causing people to keep their distance from you. This is the kind of situation she was in. This is one of the reasons why the Lord allows her to be in this situation. Because he's going to tell her something. He's going to tell us something this morning. The other element of this story is that she's penniless. She has spent everything trying to find a cure. For 12 years moving from one doctor to the next. From medical remedies to home remedies to whatever. She's tried it all. She's gone into every different type of community trying to find a place to be. Trying to find something to help. Maybe this time it'll work. Maybe this time. Nothing has worked. She's grown worse. More isolated. This woman has a problem that seemingly no one can help with. 
And that makes verse 27 all the more dramatic. She thinks, probably superstitiously, if I even touch his garment, I will be made well. And she does touch him. End of verse 7. And immediately, the bleeding stops. She feels it in her immediately. She knows instantly and free from this chronic illness. I'm free and healed from this thing I've been carrying for 12 years. Imagine how she felt. Years and years of chasing something to heal her. And the very second she reaches out to Jesus, she is cured and made whole. She's gone from hopeless and helpless, from whatever community she tried, from every remedy she tried, to healed and restored in a moment. And yet the scene then changes. Jesus perceives that the power, verse 30, in him had gone out of him. And inquiring further, she eventually comes forward trembling in fear. Now notice there, first of all, the self-perception and the control of Jesus. His disciples point out that the crowd has been pressing in, thronging in against him. Lots of people have touched you, Jesus. What do you want about? But Jesus, Jesus knows exactly what's happened. He's saying it out loud because he wants the person who he has just healed to come and speak to him. He wants to speak to them. He wants her to come forward. And so imagine, as he says this out loud, who touched my garments? What's going through her head? She's become accustomed to a life of shame. Unclean and avoided. And now, having tried, with the weakness of her understanding, with the confusion of, of how much she understands about Jesus at this stage, and it's not a lot, with all the superstition that's sort of mixed in with how she's approaching Jesus. She's, she's not approaching him perfectly, but it's more than enough. Because having tried to discreetly and anonymously reaching out to, to, to someone who she knows to be a healer and a holy man, that very same man is now looking for her. She's confused. She's, she's tried to imagine yourself, you know, looking for answers. And you can't bear to, to come to church. You might be online listening to this or watching this back at some point. You, you might be thinking, I, I can't go to that place. I can't be around these people. And, and, and so you're either in the privacy of your own home, you know, your spouse doesn't even know, your children know, you're looking and reading the Bible for yourself, wanting to meet Jesus, wanting just to discreetly and quietly, just sort of, Jesus, talk to me maybe a little. You're watching online being like, Jesus, do you have something for me? And you're confused about the whole makeup of everything, but you know there's something about Jesus. And now he's looking for He's looking for her. That'll wake up anyone who's falling asleep. He's looking for her. 
and she falls down in fear. Now maybe she's expecting to experience anger and rebuke and admonishment. She has suffered stigma at the hands of many. How dare you? How dare you touch me? I'm a holy man. How dare you come near me? You're a sinner. You're unclean. You're disgusting. She's probably very used to that reaction over the last 12 years. And sadly probably from a lot of people who call themselves followers of God. Who were, in one sense, at that time of church history, trying to do what the word of God commanded them. Which was to live out the picture and the symbolism of uncleanness. Because that's the reality of sin. They were also trying to walk through faithfully the messiness of this world. And sadly, because of the reality of sin, she felt the brunt of it. What's the answer? She's not going to find the answer in the church, in the people of God. They don't have the answer. They're trying to themselves figure it out and stay clean and relate rightly with God. The answer is God's promised Messiah. The answer is Jesus. And so imagine her relief and the joy when the very first word she hears is daughter. His response to her is immediately full of kindness and compassion, full of dignity and generosity. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Because when Jesus comes up against our hopelessness, Jesus wins. But remember the little girl. There's been a delay. And now there's a sting in the tail. And the news comes through, verse 35, while he was still speaking. Caring and loving for this woman facing the long-term impact of the consequences of sin on this world which is just the suffering of sickness then comes the sting of death while he was still speaking there came from the ruler's house some who said your daughter is dead why trouble the teacher any further now we all know the feeling of when you're in a rush and the people that you're with insist on stopping and talking. If you're, a, if you're young here and your parents bump into someone they know, you're in the shop for another half hour and it's a pain. I once missed the start of our Rangers game because my cousin insisted on stopping for a Burger King first. And we missed the, tra- the train, the subway that was going to take us to Iber. We were, we were all so angry with him. Because wherever you need to go... If you need to get somewhere for a certain time, if there's a time pressure issue, it's so irritating when you get delayed. Now for Jairus, this is way more than irritation. The delay. 
It is utterly devastating. His daughter has died. So what Jesus says next would be deeply cruel if you or I said it to someone who is just right now grieving. Verse 36, he said to the ruler, Do not fear, only believe. And then reaching the house, he says to the people who are grieving, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now if any one of us, here's a rule of thumb. If somebody you know has just suffered a, a loss, don't say that. I think that's pretty clear. If any one of us said something like that, we'd all be asked to leave. And it's no wonder the people laughed. They're not laughing because they think he's made a joke. They're laughing with scorn. <laughs> How dare you? Who do you think you are? But Jesus isn't like you or me. Because when Jesus comes up against hopelessness, Jesus wins. Even faced with death itself, Jesus wins. Verse 40. He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking For she was 12 years of age. Immediately. This is how much authority Jesus as the King, the Messiah, has. When he speaks, the winds and the waves obey. When he speaks, the demons leave. When he speaks, the dead get up. Not even death can hold us back from responding to his words. Which is a good thing. Because if we are dead in our sins, we, the reason we be, might become Christians aren't because we're better at listening than other dead people. We're not good at listening. If you're dead in your sins, you're dead. It needs the miraculous power of the voice of Jesus speaking through his word, brought to you by the Holy Spirit to quicken your soul, your hard heart from death to life. You need his power to make you alive. And all this because once again Jesus is the king over author- with authority. In chapter 4 he's the king with authority over nature able to calm the storm. In the beginning of chapter 5 he's the king with the authority to cast out demons. In, in just the verses before this he has the authority to remove sickness and the impact and the consequences of, of illness and sickness and disease and trauma and he can bring healing into our beings and now he has authority over death itself. And so, here comes the second question. If the first question I asked was, do you recognize the king with authority over sickness and death? Do you see him in these stories, recognizing he has authority, he's doing something we can't do? The second question is, how are you going to respond? Do you respond with, to the king with faith and not fear? Because we're being drawn in this passage to do more than just recognize this. We're being drawn to respond with faith, not fear. 
Because we see the clues. We see that there was fear in the woman's trembling response to Jesus. And obviously Jairus was afraid of the worst. And those fears were confirmed. And perhaps fear is something that continues to sneak up on you and grip you. And to be honest, in this chapter, and it's part of the story of Legion as well, the fear of the, the, the villagers who responded by saying, Go away, Jesus. They didn't respond with faith. They, he responded, the man responded with faith. They responded with fear. And we see fear still pressing through. And he says to Jairus, Don't fear. So fear is a... a, a, a a response that people have. Now, in this chapter, fear is natural and it's right. What other response would be more appropriate when facing death? Of course we're afraid. Or when, when meeting a holy and just God, this woman trembling, of course we're afraid. And you might be afraid. Afraid of illness and pain for you and loved ones. Afraid of death. Afraid of the loss of loved ones. But here, this chapter is saying, whatever your fears, come to Jesus. Here is the one who has the authority to conquer sin and conquer death. He will go on to actually do that through the cross, paying for our sins, and through the resurrection, conquering death. So, don't be afraid, he's saying to us. Here is the one to trust in. Because as well as seeing the woman's fear, we read of her faith that Jesus commends. Verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. It's her faith that saved her. Not the touch. Not the clothes. Other people were brushing up against him in the crowd, which would mean that surely then dozens of people would have been saved. No, what saved her was her faith. And even though her pursuit of Jesus was confused and probably mixed in with some sort of superstition, still he healed her. Her faith, as flawed as it was, as small as it was, as weak as it was, was genuine. That's a good thing. Because none of us have perfect faith on this side of heaven. All of us have flawed, weak faith to some degree, mixed in with some confusion. Not one of us is a perfect theologian who understands rightly, has a right understanding perfectly of the knowledge of God. We don't. We're all flawed to some degree in our prisms of faith. And yet, although her faith was genuine, Jesus didn't want her to believe that her superstition played a role. He calls her to come forward. He doesn't leave her confused and leave her just to go away sort of well. He wants her to be saved and to understand that her faith to come to him in the first place has saved not only brought healing, has saved her soul. He says to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
He's not wearing some special powerful cloak. It's just that her simple faith was in the right person. The powerful special Jesus. And he doesn't want her to hold on to the superstitions. He doesn't, he doesn't want her to stay confused in her faith. He wants her to grow in her faith. So, come. Trust in Jesus with all the baggage and all the confusion and how little you might understand. That's okay. As long as you know, as weak as you, it might be, Jesus is the only one who can help me. He can only, he's the only one who can take away my sin and bring healing to my life and ultimately heal me through heaven and to make everything right. He's the only one. Whatever else you understand, whatever else you don't understand, whatever, however many questions and doubts you might have, as long as your faith is in Jesus, Amen. Go. Your faith has made you well. Trust in that. Have assurance in that. And then off the back of that, know that Jesus doesn't want to leave you there. He surrounds you with His people. He surrounds you with... Bible study where you can rub shoulders with one another. Does it really say that? No. Oh, hey, can you tell me more about this? I don't understand any of this. You seem to know what you're talking about. Can you teach me a little bit more? Let's have a coffee. Let's have a come and visit me. The, and the elders come and they bit by bit talk to you and just go. Oh, have you thought about this? And the preaching. You're meant to come and just learn and learn and learn. But what's most important is you put your faith. In Jesus. But we also see the faith of Jairus. Enough faith to go and find Jesus in the first place. But also enough faith to hear those impossible words. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Only believe. And he does. So maybe this woman is, is a picture of someone who has had deep trauma and the impact of long-term sin, whether it's been done by her or done to her. She is a picture of someone who has just been gripped by sin and its impact and sinfulness for many, many, many years. And she's come with all that baggage, all that problem, and she's found healing in Jesus. Jairus is maybe a picture of those of us who have been following Jesus for some time and all of a sudden and we have enough faith to go to him we've gone to him already but then the worst things happen the things that we're most afraid of in this life happen this deep suffering and pain happens and when Jesus talks to you again how will we respond He responded with faith. Even though he says to her in the face of his dead daughter, don't fear. Trust me. Believe in me. He does. He brings him back to the house. The girl is raised to life. She's twelve. Twelve years old. Those twelve years that Jairus watched his daughter grow and grow, but then get ill and lose her. 
It's the same length of time that the woman suffered through her degrading illness. Each had radically different circumstances. Each had radically different dreams and disappointments. They were unlike in so many ways. This father who lost his little girl who he had for 12 years. This woman who had suffered for so long for these 12 years. Yet despite their differences, despite the different journeys they were on in life, both traveled the same 12 year road of ups and downs. Or downs and ups. To Jesus. Their stories, their times were in his hands. And at the end, a loving result awaited at the destination. Now read these stories. Read what we learn here about Jesus. And be strengthened in putting your faith in this Christ. Now faith doesn't mean refusing to accept the facts and pretending that everything is okay. That's not what it means. Faith is walking and clinging to the Lord Jesus even in the face of the things that make us afraid. There's a beautiful little book by uh, Jonathan Gibson um, called The Moon is Always Round. In it, it's a picture, it's a children's book and and, and in it this minister, this professor He allows readers to eavesdrop on the conversations that he had with his own young son in response to the death of his unborn sister in the womb. This little boy knew he was, mummy had a a baby in her womb. And the baby died. How do you handle that as a parent? How do you explain that to this excited older brother? Well, in the same way that the moon is always round, despite the different phases, like a crescent and a waxing and a waning moon, so God is always good, even through the different phases of life that we experience. The moon is always round. God is always good. And so here's the question. When Jesus delays... Or when he doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want. Is he good? Because his delay here shatters our expectation of what Jesus wants for us. And what's ultimately good and best for us. It would have been a wonderful story. And there were other times in scripture where Jesus quickly goes to the house, heals her sickness, and she doesn't die. And it's a wonderful story. That after she dies, she is brought back to life. But here's the thing. One day she will die again. It's only a temp... In this story, it's only a temporary fix. The chronically ill woman who has suffered for 12 years, she will get sick in other ways. And she will eventually die herself. And it's the same for you and me when we ask for healing. We may be healed. It might happen. 
You pray to the Lord. He might heal you. He is the God who can do the impossible. Believe in that. He can heal. He may choose not to. Either way, we'll still die. But God is still good. How can I say that? Because the reason Jesus delays is so that they and we will see that we need more than just temporary healing and temporary life. What we need more than temporary healing and temporary life is to see and know and trust in this Jesus. What this woman, what Jairus, what this little girl needs more than anything else isn't healing. That's not what they need more than anything else. It isn't restoration. It isn't life on earth. That is not the ultimate end goal. That's not what we need the most. As good as those things are, and as much as God may choose to grant them to us, what they need is Jesus. What you need is Jesus. And so in all the complexity of all the different stories in this room, all the different journeys you've all been on, some of you have not faced major trauma. Some of you have not faced major loss yet. Some of you have not faced chronic illness and and life-ending illness, terminal illness. Some of you have. Some of you carry deep wounds and scars of awful things and the burdens of life. You've lost loved ones. You're walking now with... Illness cracking you. But what all of us need, young and old, healthy or unhealthy, living or dying, what you need more than anything of all of these things, more than the little good gifts of life that God gives us, is Jesus. Because trusting with faith in Jesus, even through suffering, even through death, is the only road to eternal life. And for those of us who feel that Jesus is unfair for allowing the delay. You're wrong, Jesus, for allowing the delay. For allowing the pain. We don't know. We don't... We cannot fathom the sheer weight and the glorious weight and length of heaven. We we can't comprehend it. We're so fixated. We're so caught up. We can't help it in in one respect with the here and now. This is just life as we know it. We cannot comprehend the infinity and the eternity and the glory of heaven. And I can hardly blame you. It's hard to compare eternity with the immediacy of wanting stuff now in the here and now. But we also can't see how God allowing the suffering is the very thing that wakes all three characters up to their greater need for Jesus. That doesn't make suffering good. But it shows how God can use the reality of suffering for good. Because they're not the only characters who exist in this chapter. There's a whole crowd of people. But for all the attention, for all the pressing in on Jesus, for all the crowding around him, they didn't trust in Jesus. Many people in this story aren't saved. But those three were. I hope the little girl was. 
So even as we feel the real pain of life in a fallen and broken world, we grieve. But we do so as those with hope. Hope in a king who will one day usher in his glorious kingdom forever. And that's a place where there will be no more crying, no more pain. Every tear will be wiped away. We will meet again with those who have gone before us. But this chapter calls us to respond in faith, in Jesus Throw yourself down at his feet, asking for his forgiveness, asking to be healed, asking to be made clean, asking to be made alive, made new, to be born again. A second chance upon second chances. Don't be afraid of what this world can throw at you. Don't be afraid of the worst things. Don't be afraid of the deepest of losses. Because if you trust in Jesus... Those losses will one day be overturned. He is the good and kind king. And so believe in him. Those of you who don't yet know him, take that step. Putting your faith in Christ. Even as confused as you are. Even if you've got loads of questions. I've just brought up the topic of why does God allow suffering. All of us are going to have loads of... It's going to be one of the first questions we ask of Jesus when we see him in glory. Why, Lord? What about this? What, what about this? We all have questions and doubts. Even those of us who have been following Jesus for decades. But in all the complexity of faith big or small bring it to the feet of the one who is strong and so will you join with me now as I pray in the quietness of your heart Lord I confess that when I see your power and holiness I often feel afraid because of my many sins against you and we say together I pray I'm sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness through what Christ has done in giving his life for me, to give me eternal life. I turn to him now in faith. I pray that you will help me follow him now, follow the King, and all the days of my life, help me follow. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. <laughs> We're going to end singing from Psalm 24, the psalm of the king coming. And so we're going to sing, Ye gates, lift up your heads on high, ye doors that last for a be lifted up, that so the king of glory enter me. This is to the tune St. George's Edinburgh, and I believe we're going to be doing uh, at the end section that is traditionally done, where we sing... Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen and amen. Uh, hallelujah is a... It's in the Latin, but it's from the Hebrew, hallelujah, which just means to give praise to God. And amen means, let this be, so let it be. Lord, may this come to pass. What we've prayed for, what we've asking for, the King to come in His glory, may it be. And so let's stand and sing to God's praise.
lift up your heads and be blessed by the words of God now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all 